0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let me start off by shouting out to my fellow half-chowds, my half-fam. Half-fam, now you know it brings me no pleasure to say this at all. However, half-fam, your Celtics, half-fam, are full ass. I mean, seriously, find me a more disappointing, unprepared, and unmotivated team than the Celtics. I'm going to wait. Hey, I'm right here. I'll wait. I'll wait. Find me a bigger coaching mismatch in the history of the NBA playoffs. I'll wait for that, too. Because that's exactly what that feels like. This feels like one of the best coaches to ever do it against a guy who should never have been allowed to coach in the NBA at all. But as overmatched, and he's completely overmatched, as Joe Mazzulla is, in no way am I going to let the rest of the Celtics off the hook. In fact, I want to do the opposite because this is on them way more than it's on their overwhelmed head coach. It's the dudes on the court who spit the bit. It's the dudes on the court who quit last night. It's the dudes in uniform who have shown absolutely no fight or heart or grit in this series. And they did quit. They did. There's no question about that. Now, you know me. I don't throw that word around lightly because calling a professional athlete a quitter is essentially the worst thing you could ever say about a pro athlete. I'm not about that. I'm not about the hot take factory. I'm not about Mount Rushmore. I'm not about just laying out and calling people quitters. I'm saying it this morning because they're quitters. It's true. They quit. They didn't just quit in a conference finals game. They quit In a Game 3, a must-win game in the Conference Finals. And they quit before the end of the third quarter of the Game 3. And you know why they did that? Do you know why they quit? Because they're quitters. And that's not just me punching the clock on the assembly line at the Hot Take Factory. Don't just take my word for it, even though I'm right But if you need a more credible source than yours truly, I've got no problem getting that for you. How about this? How about Irv? Is that credible enough? I mean, yes. Irv, talking about Magic Johnson. Irv does tweet out his ass more often than not. But not last night. Last night, dude was on one. He tweeted, quote, In my 44 years of being associated with the NBA... I never thought that I'd see a Boston Celtics team, a franchise with 17 championships, quit. I know Celtics fans all over the world must be disgusted and devastated. The Miami Heat blew them out. 128 to 102 in game three. End of tweet. Irv is right. Boston quit. And then after they quit, they were shown up by their own scrubs in garbage time. Who played with way more heart and effort and intensity than any of the Boston Alphas or starters have really at any point in this series. So there are implications now, implications and blowback for everybody involved, and that's the way it should be. Right or not, Joe Mazzulla is going to wear a lot of this, most of it, if not all of it. He'll get most of the heat. However, however... And he deserves it. However, he's not helping himself at all in these post-game pressers. Remember, after game one, we had to hear him go on about how the team was, in fact, prepared. That the team actually won three of the four quarters, but then just simply let go of the rope.
1: We were prepared, and then we let go of the rope. And-
0: like an all-time bad take from a guy who was clearly in way over his head. I said at the time, no credit for winning three out of four quarters. As a good friend of mine pointed out, what is this, the CBA? They don't keep score at the end of every quarter. You don't get points for wins in quarters like the CBA back in the day. Then last night, he doubled down. He flat out admitted. I mean, it's one thing to say we won three of the four quarters, but just let go of the rope. Last night, he flat out said there is, in fact, a disconnect between he and his team, and he's not sure why that is or even how to fix it.
2: Joe, I don't want to say if you lost this team, but is there a disconnect between you and the players at this point? Is there something not quite working that might have worked in February or January that you're, you're not telling them to lose by 28 points, but they're, and they're, you're telling them to try. So is there a disconnect? Yeah,
1: that's where I have to be better is figure out what this team needs to make sure that they're connected, they're physical, and they're together by the time we step on the floor.
0: What cause that disconnect? Um, not sure. So that's about the closest you're ever going to hear a head coach to admitting that he lost his team in the middle of a playoff series. Hey, yo, Brad Stevens, you think maybe you might just want to tap yourself in for Game 4? Because your dude is cooked. The dude that you yourself gave that job to full-time back in February. And somebody should tell Joe Mazzulla that, quote, I don't know is is not a great answer to keep going back to um not sure Or oh, I'm not sure I'm not sure that's not an answer that you want to keep going back to he doesn't know why or he's not sure why the team let go of the rope in game one and he's not sure why they stopped listening to him by the third quarter of game three but what are you sure of dude if you're not sure of those things, exactly what the hell are you sure of? What do you know? Yeah, that's where I have
1: to be better is figure out what this team needs to make sure that they're connected, they're physical, and they're together by the time we step on the
0: floor.
2: And cause that disconnect.
0: Um, well, I'm not, not sure. sure. Well, I'm not sure. Uh, let's not get into that yet. I'm not sure. So back um, to what I just said. Not sure. You do you, Jack. I like it, man. He's aggressive and confident on that board. He's Jack Savage. No, I mean that, dude. Do it. Dude, dude, do not get timid on me now. Do whatever the hell you want, Jack. I mean this sincerely. From me to you, I probably should have had this conversation with you before you actually sat in that chair. I mean this, bro. Do whatever you want. Hit any button you want. What's the worst that could happen besides you and I getting fired? Uh, Good. I like it. I like that, dude. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. I should have had this conversation with you off the air, but I'm having it with you right now, son, on the air. Do whatever the hell you want. You have my permission. So back to what I was saying. The problem with just running this dude, Missoula, into the chipper and firing him is that the Celtics had just ripped off the interim tag and gave him that extension back in February, a.k.a. three months ago. So you're asking Brad Stevens, theoretically, to break off a dude that he just named his full-time head coach three months ago and not only named him the head coach, but issued the following statement at that time. Quote, as he has shown, Joe is a very talented coach and leader. He has a unique ability to galvanize a room around a mission. End of quote. Huh. Uh, oops, excuse me, my bad. Oh, excuse me, my bad. Is he showing any of that right now? He has a unique ability to galvanize the room around a mission. Yeah, as long as the mission is getting your asses kicked every night and then quitting. If that's the mission, nobody's better at it. What an incredible statement. Nobody is better at galvanizing a team and rallying the troops around the mission. As long as the mission is getting your ass kicked and quitting. Incredible statement. I mean, what a complete... And this is my half fam. I'm half chowed. This is my half fam. So believe me, I take no joy in this. What a complete and utter dumpster fire. Remember, this Celtics team entered this series as an overwhelming favorite. They've actually been favored in every single game. They were four and a half point favorites last night. And they still wound up waving Jason Tatum's Horrible, white Miami Vice suit around in surrender before the start of the fourth quarter. By the way, Jay, the hell kind of fit is that? What were you thinking with that? You know, feel good, look good. Look good, play good, play good. Get paid good. That whole Dion thing back in the day. Feel like crap, play worse. Or look like crap, feel worse, play worse. However you want to put it, man. What, what were you thinking going with that fit? That backfired. Two seconds ago, the Celtics looked like they were on the brink of a championship. Now they look like a franchise that is completely and totally broken. But hey, that's what happens when you get got by heat culture. That's what happens when you get got by himmy buckets and gaucho Gabe Vincent, my man, my dude, a freaking legend. How about that, Gaucho? My guy, Gabe, 11 of 14 last night, 6 of 9 from beyond the arc, porting 29, was the leading scorer in the entire game. Gaucho Gabe outscored Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, a.k.a. Robin and Robin combined. Last night, Gabe. Gabe was as tremendous as the Celtics were horrendous. It's an amazing thing to watch a dude reach his full potential, and this is an entire team of dudes reaching their full potential. More than anything else, this is the very definition of heat culture. Squeezing the most out of every single dude who suits up. I tweeted about this last night. If you have an entire room full of guys who self-actualize, and reached a potential. That's a powerful thing, man. That is dangerous. And nobody exemplifies heat culture like Gaucho Gabe, another undrafted player. Like, I want to say, where the hell do they find these guys? There's so many of them. They had seven players last night who played 20 or more minutes, and only three were drafted. It's an incredible stat. And Gabe, I love the way my guy showed up. I love the way he showed up on the floor, and then I love the way he tried to keep it classy in the postgame on the inside the NBA desk. I also love how my guy Chuck was not having any of it and was not going to let Gabe do it. You know, they're a really good team. They're a well-coached team. They got stars. They're not going to lay down. So, we you know, we got to come in and handle business on Tuesday.
2: Yeah, clearly you didn't watch the game tonight. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yo, stop coming. Hey, come yeah. well coached and don't lay down. Don't lay down <laughs> well, oh, hey, go, oh, go look yeah. at the tape again. Incredible. <laughs> he, he can't incredible. <laughs> he, he can't, incredible.
0: Incredible. Gabe's all classy, amen. man? That is a well-coached team, and they're not going to lay down. Chuck goes, well-coached team, and they're not going to lay down? Like, that's exactly what happened. They're not a well-coached team, and they did lay down. You know, they're a really good team. They're a well-coached team. I mean, Gabe's all class, all class, like a gaucho would be. And Chuck just called him on it. What do you mean they're a well-coached team, and they're not going to lay down? That's exactly what they did, and they're not a well-coached team. It made me laugh out loud when I saw it. Gabe knows. Gabe was just being a class act, but he knows. He knows what everybody knows at this point. The series is over. The Celtics are cooked because they already quit. And their coach already essentially admitted that he lost his team and he doesn't know why. And that's why half-fam. Half-fam. I am fully embarrassed for your pathetic Celtics this morning. And in a way, they're half-mine, right? Because I'm half-fam. Believe me, I am not looking to pile on. I mean, hell, we are fam, right? Well, half-fam. But I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But I will ask again. Find me a more disappointing, unprepared, unmotivated team than the Celtics. And no, it's not the 76ers. They were bad, but not this bad. Not this bad. The Lakers are at least in every game before they come up short. I literally can't believe what I saw last night. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky, shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, or what's your beef? We are joined right now by a national NBA reporter for The Athletic. He previously served as the Knicks beat reporter for The Athletic. He is host of the Long Twos podcast as well. Mike Vorkanoff is my guest. Mike, it is so good to have you on. Mike, how are you? I'm um,
2: great, Jim. How are you doing?
0: Good, good. Good to visit with you. Let me ask you first, an absolute disaster, Mike, for the Celtics. Last night in South Beach, listen, I mean, you probably come out the same way I do on this, but you never, ever want to accuse an athlete or a team of quitting. But did the Celtics quit last night?
2: I think they were just scrambling for answers and they ran out. And uh, when that happens, you know, NBA teams just, they, they know they're the first ones to know when they're in a bad spot. So I don't know. I don't know if you want to call it or not, but it's, you know, they got outscored by 15 points in that third quarter, another bad third quarter for the Celtics. It was just a horrible situation altogether in Boston.
0: I mean, exactly what's happening. For instance, Mike, credit to Miami. Let's be very clear about that. Credit to Miami, who we'll get back to in a moment. But how much of this catastrophe is on the Celtics coach, Joe Mazzula? And then how much is on the players themselves?
2: I, you know, I think it's, I, I think if the players get the credit, they also get the blame. There's only so many tactical adjustments you can make. And the Celtics have just been a weird team all season, right? They had a great record, obviously, but you could see it that something was always just on the brink of disaster for them. It would pop up every once in a while during the regular season. They had trouble in the playoffs, too. And, you know, last night, like Jason Tatum had 14 points. You had 12 points for Jalen Brown. Uh, we saw Tatum go through these cold funks at other points in the postseason. Or, or Jalen Brown, remember, he had his issues last year in the playoffs, too. And it's just there's something that's just off with them. And we've seen it rear to ahead head against Miami, who has just been masterful in exploiting every little deficiency that
0: Boston has. No, I think you're right. So before I go to Miami, let me ask you this. If there is something off, and there is, and there is something wrong, and there is, like, is it fundamentally broken? If you're Brad Stevens, what do you do going forward?
2: I think some kind of change is needed, right? Uh, You have to figure out what that is. They have two key pillars in Tatum and Brown that are, I think, 25 and 26 or something like that. Uh, The question is whether they want to give them both these huge extensions. That'll be somewhere around, I think, uh, $600 million in total, uh, you know, with the cap spiking, with salaries rising. And and that's a decision they need to make. You know, Al Horford's obviously getting up there. Marcus Smart has been around for a while. And, uh, it's clear that something is just a little off. And remember a few years ago when something was a little off with Boston, uh, we saw Brad Stevens uh, go upstairs right and leave the bench. And so that was a big move. So we'll see what Boston can do this year if they really want to just take a big swing and um, you know try to change the roster in a substantial way.
0: Right. So, Mike, what about Miami? It's an incredible stat, but of the seven guys who played 20 or more minutes last night – only three of them were drafted, and yet this group is one win away from being in the NBA Finals. How do you explain something like that? Is it just that so called heat culture, or is there something else playing or in play here?
2: The undrafted part is ridiculous. I, I was watching the Knicks' heat game in Miami and MSG, covering those games, and I'm watching the floor. It's like Gabe Vincent, Max Schroes, Caleb Martin are all undrafted. You know, Kevin loves starting, and he got you know, waived by the Cavaliers mid-season, and they're just able to take all of this and produce this this juggernaut in the playoffs somehow. Um, the coaching by Spolstra is, you know, he's the best coach in the NBA right now. We've seen it time and again this postseason, and Jimmy Butler is just, the playoff Jimmy legend is real, right? He picks his time. He wants to make sure he peaks in, in the postseason, and then when he does, and I think the big underrated guy, uh, this postseason has been Bam bio and just what he's done for them offensively and defensively, changing the entire tenor of the team. And we hadn't seen that from Bam consistently over the last few postseasons either.
0: No, you're right. That energy he has is just absolutely amazing. Go back to Spo for a minute. Like, I agree with you. I don't think anybody can really debate that he is the best coach in the NBA right now. What is it that makes him so unique and so special and a cut above at this point?
2: I think it's that he's not tied to anything. He's so flexible in his thought and the way that he'll coach the team. Like, one example is what happened in games one and two against the Knicks in that last series. You know, they had, they won game one. They had Jimmy Butler. They played one type of way, kind of gr- grinding possessions a little bit. Game two, Jimmy's out. They're putting up 53 pointers a night. They're trying to win with math and by trying to just hit more threes and hope they can steal possessions that way against the Knicks. And the way that, He's inserted Caleb Martin into big minutes. And we talk about, you know, you mentioned all the undrafted guys that they have. That's not just the credit to their development, it's the willingness by SPO to be able to play them, right? I think in other organizations, even if your bottom of the roster undrafted guys get better, they still struggle to see minutes. In Miami, they just throw them into the starting lineup. Gabe Vincent played 35 minutes last night and scored 29 points. I don't know if he necessarily gets the opportunity to do that with other teams.
0: And the coach has to put him in that opportunity. No, I, I believe that 100%. And I'm a UC Santa Barbara alumnus, so I love seeing Gabe do what he did. But to your point, I don't know that others would give him the opportunity. It's one thing to get the opportunity, but they what they get out of these guys, their immense self-belief that they all have, I mean, where is that coming from? The coach, the culture, Jimmy Butler, all the above. It's like every one of these guys has self-actualized. Yeah,
2: it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's probably all the above, right? You know, it's the coach who's willing to play you that gives you confidence. It's seeing um, guys who had done that before come before you, and so you know that there's a precedent for you doing it, for someone like yourself doing it. And obviously it helps to have Jimmy Butler, who uh, you know turns into one of the five best players in the league every postseason, and knowing that you can rely on him to do the types of things that he does. And also the thing about Jimmy Butler that's really interesting and fun is he is so dogmatic. And making sure he makes the right plays all the time he's not forcing things he doesn't necessarily want to or need to score 30 points and so I think that feeds off itself because if you have that kind of uh, you know smart selflessness and your best player everyone else has to kind of play that way too
0: I think so and I think there is a standard I mean it's it's so cliche but the standard really is the standard and there's a standard in effect there Mike what about the Western Conference Denver is looking to close out the Lakers tonight let's face it, the Nuggets are bigger. The Nuggets are better. Do you think the Lakers show up well enough to force a game five, or are you looking for Denver to close them out tonight?
2: Yeah, I mean, you you never want to underrate the possibility of a gentleman's sweep, right? Uh, Get that one game at home, and obviously, when you have Anthony Davis and LeBron, anything can happen, but um, if Denver finishes it off, it's probably right that it happens tonight. Why prolong it any uh, any more than it has to be? They're just so good, and Uh, They have so much skill and talent, and and we've seen that the Lakers have struggled to keep up with that. Even when they do take leads, Denver just keeps storming back.
0: Mike, what has happened to D'Angelo Russell in this series?
2: Uh, Well, uh, that's kind of unfortunate timing for him a little bit, right? He had a few big games earlier in the postseason. He started missing shots, but also, um, you know, that's some of the questions about D'Angelo Russell that came into uh, you know, just came up with him earlier in his career, too, between the defense and just some erratic shot making and shot selection. And it's coming in the Western Conference Finals.
0: How about this? The Kyrie Irving rumors have reared their ugly heads once again. Can you see any way, any path, any how that he ends up in Los Angeles?
2: I, I don't know anymore. With, <laughs> I, you know, I'd like to I don't want to ever say no with Kyrie Irving anymore. We just Saw him get traded for a first-round pick and a really good player this, uh, this midseason trade deadline, right? I didn't think that was possible after everything that he put the Nets through for the last two years. It, you know, if the players really push for him and LeBron James really pushes for him, and we've already seen kind of that PR push a little bit um, to, to kind of bring Kyrie into the fold even during All-Star weekend a few months ago in Salt Lake City. So I wouldn't put anything past that. Anything, cra- anything crazy can happen in the NBA these days. And Kyrie will be a free agent, so the opportunity will be
0: there. No doubt. So, Mike, nobody's ever come back from a 3-0 deficit, as mentioned. So how about an early thought or two about a Denver-Miami Finals matchup? How do you feel about that matchup from a basketball standpoint? And who do you like?
2: I think it's going to be fascinating uh, how Miami tries to stop Jokic. You know, they have Bam Adebayo, right, who's one of the best primary defenders in the front court in the league period, but we saw uh, the Lakers get burned by trying to put their best front court big on Jokic. So will Miami try to do that as well? Uh, The difference for them is Jimmy's such a great perimeter defender too, that you couldn't throw him on Jamal Murray, or at least at times try to throw him on Jamal Murray to really scramble things for Denver. And the defensive decisions that Miami makes are really going to be interesting for me. And for Denver, it's, you know, can they play with the same pace uh, against Miami as they have been, early in the postseason. I, I think Denver's the favorite. I think I, it's kind of confused me why they've been um, so underrated this whole season or even coming into the playoffs. They had the best record in the West and then the best player in basketball. Usually that's a pretty good formula for getting to the finals, right? And yet people seem to doubt them. So I think they're the favorites in this matchup, too. But I think it'll be fascinating. It'll have to go to at least six, I think, with how well Miami's playing.
0: I love, love that matchup. And I think you get two teams that are very, very good teams with the enormous chips on their shoulders. One last thought. You covered the Knicks franchise previously. What do you think their offseason will look like? And what do the Knicks have to do to take the next step?
2: Well, they got to get a star alongside Jalen Brunson, right? That's the easy part in terms of, you know What do they have to do as the next step? They they, have, they somehow landed a star last offseason. Right? No one knew that Jalen Brunson was going to be this good. I don't know if they knew Jalen Brunson was going to be this good, but if he went on to free agency now, he'd get a max contract no problem. He ripped up uh, the heat like no one else has been able to this postseason. But they need to get him help. They need to get more shooting. Um, they have to figure out what to do with Julius Randle, who had a, another tough postseason that's two in the last three years for him. Uh, and really they have some avenues to do that. They have a lot of draft picks. They have good young talent. They were in the, you know, in the final conversation to trade for Dante Mitchell and they just didn't do it last summer. So we have to see if another star comes onto the market, how heavily the Knicks want to get involved and if they're willing to pull the trigger this time.
0: Really interesting to see, no doubt about that. He is a national NBA reporter for The Athletic. He previously did serve as a Knicks beat reporter for The Athletic and the host of the Long Twos podcast, Mike Vorkanoff, my guest. Mike, great to have you on. Really appreciate the insight. Great talking to you, Mike. Thanks so much. Oh, Thanks for having me. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com match. In theory, as I mentioned, this should be a rough morning for the PGA Tour. Considering the dude who just won the PGA Championship is a liver, the live tour, Brooks Kepka. You know, this is essentially why I think he joined that tour. When he joined the tour, well, he had 100 million reasons to join that tour. But when he joined the tour, he was kind of busted up, didn't want to play as much. And what we know about Brooks is he always wants to show up and show out for the big ones. And he did again this weekend. Look great. And a big, big win for him And a big win for the Live Tour. In fact, they should be celebrating this thing. It should be their biggest day yet. And it actually would be, except for one thing. We're not talking about that so much. We're talking about a guy named Michael Block. And because of Block, nobody really gives a damn about the Live Tour this morning when it should have been all about that. And again, thanks to Orange County's own Michael Block. This is actually a great morning for golf. Because somehow, Michael Block, the club pro, the club pro at Arroyo Tribuco in Mission Viejo, less than a half an hour from where I am right here, completely ripped the show and the PGA this weekend. Somehow, a dude who charges a buck and a half, one fifty. An hour for golf lessons at a course, again, less than a half, a, mi- or a half hour drive from where I am right here, is the dude who is the biggest story in golf this morning. And one of the biggest stories in golf pretty much ever, if you ask me. This dude. This dude is so awesome. And this story is so amazing. This dude is getting all the run this morning. And he finished in the top 15. He did not win. This dude right here. Well, go ahead, Jack.
2: Hit play. Hi, my name is Michael Block. I'm the head golf bro here at Arroyo Tribuco Golf Club. Why am I better at golf than you? Well, I can spend my days here and golf in golf heaven.
0: I am Michael Block. Why am I better at golf than you? Because I can spend my days here in heaven. He's so right. I'll tell you one thing for sure. My man could probably, I don't know, like he might be too good of a dude to raise his price, but based on what we saw over the weekend, he absolutely should be charging more than a buck and a half for lessons. But he's such a good dude. I don't know if he will. And if he thought that he knew what golf heaven was before, then what would you call this weekend now? What's better than heaven? Heaven's the best place ever, right? Like, we overuse the word unbelievable, but this entire thing is literally unbelievable. And yes, I understand he is a great club pro. One of the best club pros. I understand that. It doesn't make it any less unbelievable. No part of this unbelievable story is more unbelievable, however, than the miraculous ace that he drilled on number 15 yesterday. In what has to be one of the greatest major moments ever, he dropped this one right in the hole, literally. At the 15th. The fairy tale story. Gets better. Like, he wouldn't accept it. He must have asked seven times. Did it go in? Did it go in? Rory, did it go in? Did it go in the hole? Dude dunked it. He dunked it. What an absolutely priceless all-time reaction. My man. My man would not accept that it went right into the hole. And I mean straight into the hole. No roll. He dunked it. He dunked that golf ball. Nothing but cup. He actually nailed a hole-in-one on the fly at the PGA. And then his brain just would not compute. Like, he couldn't get his head wrapped around it. He had to keep asking, Rory, Rory, did that go in? You know, Rory McIlroy? Because, of course, you wouldn't understand that. Look, I don't care how good of a club pro you are. I don't care. And he he deserved to be there. That's his seventh major that he's played in. So, obviously, this guy can play more than a little. But the fact that this guy's just living out that dream and he's playing on Sunday and he's paired with Rory. Back nine Sunday. Dunked one. A number 15. Absolutely incredible. The only reaction better than his reaction was the reaction back down here in Mission Viejo. The clubhouse watch party was having zero problem processing it. Blocky Might have had some issues processing what happened, but not the club members, not the guy he teaches, not his friends back home. They were absolutely going berserk. I mean, so awesome. and the the video of everybody inside that club, blocky, blocky, it was just so great. But maybe the most amazing part of the entire story is the ace was not the most amazing part of the entire story. Or if it was, it only was just barely. because not long after that dunk on fifteen, he got up and down incredibly to say par on eighteen. And I say incredibly, Because getting up and down to save par gave him a top 15 finish, which paid this dude out $309,000, locked him up an automatic invite to next year's PGA Championship. That's already done. Then he got an invite to play a Colonial next week. And then he got an invite to play in the Canadian Open in June. And you know the opportunities are not going to end there because... He earned it, he deserves it, and he's such a great dude with an amazing story. So the story is not really about a miraculous hole-in-one by some underdog. It's about a weekend that may have changed a dude's life who fully understands it. He totally understands what's going on. Like, at the same time, not to be counterintuitive, he may have trouble getting his head wrapped around it, but he knows that everything changed for him and his life that weekend. It's about an Orange County Club Pro. I mean, a really well-respected one and extremely well-liked. But, nonetheless, an Orange County Club Pro right down the road from where we are right here who just went 70, 70, 70, 71. It'll kill. To top 15 a major. To put that in perspective, as good of a club pro as he is, that's the first time he ever made a cut at a major. And he just top 15 that one. And the thing is, the dude could not be any more awesome about it than he was. If ever there was a kind of dude that you just want to grab a beer with, it's that guy. His reactions to absolutely everything were amazing. You know, go back earlier. Check out how he reacted when he was told that he was going to be paired with Rory McIlroy for the fourth round yesterday we just found out you're paired with rory tomorrow what's your reaction to that are you serious wow that should be fun we're gonna have a good time thanks man really (laughs) oh boy oh boy it's not so great you know that's like a 40 something year old dude that's not like some amateur in college who gets to play with rory mackerel he's like really like you bleeping me Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's going to be fun. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Me and Rory. And he was right. He knew right then and there that it was going to be a big day. One of the biggest days of his entire life, if not the biggest day professionally. So what does he do? He shows up. He aces 15. He saves par on 18. He finishes the day one over. He locks in that top 15 spot. I mean, it does not get any better or any more epic than that. And again, my favorite part about the whole thing, and it's hard to pick, but my favorite part is he knows. Like, he understands. This guy's lived that life long enough. He gets it. He's not like some young knucklehead who just can't really grasp what's going on. That This is the way it is. This is my life. He knows that that was a lifetime in the making and that it all came together in a perfect storm on a near-perfect weekend. He's aware of all of that, well aware that he basically just lived the best day, if not the best weekend, of his golf life.
2: I'm living a dream. I'm making sure that I enjoy this moment. I've learned that after the, my
0: 46 years of life, that uh, it's not going to get better than this. There's no way. No chance in hell. So uh, I'm going to enjoy this, and thank you. All choked up, all dusty in. Man, what a lesson for all of us. Like, I've learned in my 46 years of life, I know, it'll never get better than this. Damn straight, I'm going to enjoy it. He's like, no way in hell it gets better than this. So what's not to love about that legend? What's not to love about that legendary story? One of the best things I've ever seen in golf. One of my favorite golf stories ever. You know, and what a bad break for Brooks. And I'm a Brooks guy. And what a bad break for the Live Tour. I mean, that should have been their moment. That should have been their victory lap. Yeah, we're not talking about that. I just noticed I didn't do a whole take on Brooks. And I've always been a big Brooks fan. I could have. I could have. But how am I going to do a take on Brooks? And I'm still looking to talk to Brooks this week. I would love to talk to Brooks this week. But that blocky, blocky, blocky thing is just, I mean, I hate to say it. It's just better. Hey, Rome, how can you justify saying that a guy who finished top 15 is better than a guy who just won? It is. More amazing. Put it that way. Did he finish top 15 as a club pro from Mission Viejo when he never once made the cut of a major? That is more incredible to me than a guy winning his fifth major. Close. Certainly more intriguing. But credit to Brooks. Brooks played his ass off. Brooks played back. Brooks is back. Great win for him. Great win for the Live Tour. But the thing is, all we want, what do we really want here? We want more blocky, blocky, blocky. I don't play, but I've been a member of enough clubs. That video of that club going crazy when he aced 15 was just priceless. It is so great. Because there's just so much love in that, man. It's so personal. Like, that's their guy. you imagine watching your guy playing on that big stage with Rory? The whole thing must be so surreal to all of them. Like, that's my teacher. That's the guy that I pay a buck and a half to who teaches me, and we love him, and he's great, and he's our guy. He already thought it was heaven, just living there and working there. And then you're watching your guy on TV on that stage, and he aces 15. Great stuff. I'm living
2: a dream. I'm making sure that I enjoy this moment. I've learned that after the, my 46 years of life
0: that uh, it's not going to get better than this. There's no way. No chance in hell. So uh, I'm going to enjoy this, and thank you. It's about low about that, too. He knows. He knows. No, no, he's choking up. He's crying. No chance in hell. No chance in hell. No way it gets better than this. We are joined right now by a member of the Denver Broncos. In fact, he's entering his 14th season overall, his fifth with the Broncos. He was the 20th pick overall in 2010 by the Texans out of Alabama, a 2009 BCS champ with Crimson Tide. He had a career-high 94 tackles last season. He had a couple of recovered fumbles as well. Denver is going to open up the regular season at home against the Raiders. On September 10th, he joins us via Zoom. Kareem Jackson is my guest. Kareem, it's good to have you on. How are you? Doing
1: great. Doing great. How are you?
0: Good, good. So it seems like it was a pretty interesting offseason for you in determining where you were going to end up. How did you approach it personally? And then ultimately, how did you end up back in Denver?
1: So it was pretty slow, actually. Um, it's one of those things where we had some conversations early on. I mean, for me, obviously, uh, being an older guy, things kind of happened a little bit, a little bit later. I um, mean, you know, for me and my my situation. So uh, we had early conversations. They told me that they wanted to sign me back, and that they had some some other issues and other things they wanted to work out first. So uh, I mean, there's one of those things where we just kind of. You know, waited today was ready ready to, to visit my situation. And ultimately, we was able to get something done.
0: Right. So you understand the business. You understand the kind of ebb and flow of that sort of thing. You started off by saying, I'm kind of an older guy, so I knew I had to wait a little bit longer maybe. You know, when you look at it, like last season overall was disappointing for the team. But statistically, you had one of your best years ever into your mid-30s. How do you explain that? And then how much pride do you take in the fact that you're still playing at a high level 14 years in?
1: Uh, I take a lot of pride in it. Uh, it's one of the things that I uh, I kind of, you know, uh, for me, it's about, you know, anytime I'm out there, going out there and putting my best foot forward, you know. Uh, it's not anything that surprises me because I prepare for it. You know, in my off-season training, uh, a, lot of, a lot of things that I'm able to do and being able to, to stay healthy and go out and compete at a high level at this age is, is something that I work at in the off-season, so it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, I mean – just, just one of those things where you know, you obviously, get into the year, you you making sure that you stand on top of your body, stand on top of all the little things that you have to do to be available and be ready for day to day practices and and for those games on Sundays. But uh, for me, that's that's what I I pride myself on. You know, being being productive, playing at a high level, and as long as I'm out there and, and able to play, you know, that's something that I I, I definitely I'm definitely going to do.
0: Kareem Jackson, my guess, you know how it is. It's like we talk about it all the time, and it's one of the all-time great cliches, but for good reason, availability is your best ability. You understand this. When you first came into the league, who were some of the guys that kind of taught you how to be a pro? Uh,
1: I had three guys that were key for me in my uh, my career. Uh, Andre Johnson was one of those guys. Uh, Glover Quinn was another guy, and Jonathan Joseph. You're talking about three guys that played – you know, well into their 30s and played at a high level. You know, uh, uh, I, I learned a, a tremendous amount uh, from those guys when it came to being a pro, taking care of my body, uh, preparation, and and being the same guy, you know, day in and day out. You know, Andre Johnson wasn't a guy that did a lot of talking, but, you know, just watching him and watching the way he worked, the way he came, and he showed up, you know, day in and day out. You know, you you, you, you had to had to respect that. And for, for me, he kind of took me under his wing at, you know, my my rookie year, which was, you know, amazing for me. And then um, Jonathan Joseph came my second year. And Global Quinn was in his second year, my first year. But he was just so wise beyond his his years. So uh, those three guys I owed a lot to when it comes to talking about, you know, um,
0: my career. I'm not surprised hearing that at all. Glover especially, man, I love him. I haven't talked to him in a minute or so, but you're right. He was years beyond his years, wise beyond his years. He always was just kind of like, not only playing the game at a different level, but talking the game at a different level, seeing the game at a different level. I love talking to him. You know, like when you talk about preparation and consistency, right? Like Andre, he didn't say very much. Do guys like that love the grind? Do people love the grind or do they just know that that's what you have to do to be great? you know what i'm saying
2: yeah
1: guys guys like that um they they actually love it i mean i love it i mean if i if i did not i don't think i would still be playing you know being a 35 year old 14 year 14 year veteran um i mean like you say it's guys that tolerate the grind and it's guys that actually love it the guys that love it are the ones that play into their 30s you know and still able to play at a high level and i think those three guys they loved it. You know, they loved the process. They loved the all-season work. They loved coming in every day, seeing, you know, what they, how they can push their body to the max and what they can get out of themselves. And not only that, how they can pour into the guys around them and help those, the guys around them, you know, possibly achieve the same thing. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have those guys early in my career that taught me so much about, you know, uh, the game, taught me so much about life, taught me about, you know, preparation, you know, and how to go about it.
0: You know, it seems to me like you need God-given talent. There's no way you play 14 years in that league without talent, but it's that mentality, it's that approach that has kept you in there, and then certainly some luck in terms of trying to stay healthy. Let me ask you about a guy I talked to last week. I talked to your teammate, Patrick Sertan, for a moment, and I asked him if he felt that he was already Kareem, already the best corner in the league. And he was not bashful about saying he is. And he wasn't brash about it either. Like, he said it, and then he broke it down, and he justified it. Let me get your thoughts, because you've seen a lot of things. Is he already the best in the league? And what's it like to share the DB room in the secondary with such a prodigious young talent like Patrick?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't I don't think he should be shy about it. I mean, talking about a guy that's been growing to play the position since he was probably... You know, in Pampers. You know, with his dad being a twelve-year veteran, uh, at having a twelve-year career. You know, being playing at a Pro Bowl caliber. You know, his entire career. You know, i uh, talking about, you know, a guy that has all the intangibles. You know, has the size, has the speed, ball skills. You know, uh, you know, flawless technique. You know, um, and, and 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 comes to work every day, willing to learn. You know, I, I have the the privilege of sitting beside him in, in the meeting rooms, and obviously me playing. You know, corner for nine years. I try to help him as much as I can. But a lot of the stuff that, you know, I kind of you know tell him and, and things like that are are things that he 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 already knows. You know, I try to help him here and, here and there whenever I can. But just to watching on a day to day basis to go about his business. You talking about you know very quiet, doesn't say much, just comes to work with his hard hat. Uh, but he, he has all the intangibles to be the hall of fame a hall of fame uh, player. You know, uh, but for me, I. I I'm excited to share the room with him, and I'm excited to see him take, a, take another step in his third year. He's still so young, still has a lot, a lot more out there You know, he can go and get, and I, I'm sure he will.
0: Kareem Jackson joining us. Extremely high praise for a guy entering his third year, and it's hard to imagine, but he is only entering his third year even if he was groomed to be that guy from the very jump. Sean Payton, of course, is in, so when you have a guy like that with his presence, with that ring, it's going to change a lot of things. What was your first sit-down with Payton like? What did the two of you talk about specifically?
1: Uh, uh, I mean, it's one of those things. Especially for me, uh, I'm excited to sit down with guys like Sean Payton, and obviously him being my coach now, uh, because it kind of goes to talking about you know his vision and what he has for the team, and, and he's talking about a guy that has you know he has a vision. He knows what he wants it to look like. You know, he knows how he wants to go about it. But then it kind of goes from that, you know, talking about the plan, you know, into you know bouncing off old memories and. It's kind of going on memory lane and playing against each other because when I was drafted, we used to always go to New Orleans and practice against, you know, the Sinks. And I just remember my rookie year, that offense, how efficient they were, you know, quick in and out the huddle. Drew Brees was, you know, functioning at a a high level. You know, he had a ton. They had had speed. You know, they had uh, close and a big body. You know, and they, they they just had all these different weapons and, and, and they ran their offense to perfection. So uh, I mean it's gonna be exciting year. You know, it's great to have, you know, um, you know, a captain like that running your ship. So I mean it, it it should be a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to it.
0: I like it. Just a couple of football dudes talking football. What about Vance Johnson returning to Denver? Did that impact your decision in any way to stay? Joseph. Yeah, Joseph, definitely. Joseph. Uh,
1: I got history with I have yeah, I have. I have history with Coach Joseph. He was my DB coach here uh, two years in, 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 uh, in Houston when I was here. Um, I mean, he helped me a, a tremendous lot throughout my career as well, early on in my career. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to reuniting with him and helping him implement his scheme and and going out and running into perfection, you know, and, and competing at a high level, you know, with, with him, you know, um, at the forefront of everything. So I'm definitely looking forward to that, and that definitely – you know, it played a part in me deciding to go back to Denver.
0: we talking to Kareem Jackson for another moment or so. And Kareem, you talked about Sean Payton and the offense he runs and how prolific he's been. Russell Wilson traditionally has been an elite quarterback in that league for a long time. He did struggle last season. Do you see a path whereby he reclaims that status as a truly elite player in the league? Can you see a way back for him?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I think every year is different. You know, uh, I mean, this league is so hard, man. You're going to have some and flows. I mean, that's just the name of the game. I mean, but it's all about how you bounce back. I mean, and I think Russell Wilson has that, you know, that tough that toughness and and, and the mindset and the mentality that, to bounce back. You know, um, I mean, and, and obviously having Coach Sean Payton is going to be huge for him as well. You know, um, like you said, I mean, having the history that he has of having running a prolific offense and having the, uh, obviously Drew Brees as a quarterback for a while, I think he'll definitely help Russell to get back to to where he's always been in this
0: league. Once again, he's entering his 14th season in the NFL. The Broncos are going to open up the regular season at home against the Raiders on September 10th, coming off a year where he had a career-high 94 tackles. Kareem Jackson via Zoom joining us. Kareem, appreciate you. Good to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for doing that.
1: Uh, No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, some ATPs. Not too late to get them in. Hit me up right now. Hey, Jim, all the clones know your XR4TI was the biggest piece of crap that you owned. What is the best car that you've owned? Not necessarily the fastest or best looking, although if it was fast and great looking, that's a bonus, but just a car that you knew was going to start every time and not leave you stranded. Scott in Milton. Trick question, dude. Trick question. I'll tell you what. I'm going to not include the exotics. I had a few stages, stages that I'm not proud of that I'm not going to share with you. I'm not going to include the exotics. You want to know what was a really reliable car? The car directly after the XR4Ti Miracor, the Ford Probe. Do You remember that car? I went 60-month lease on that car because that's where I was at in my life financially. I paid that thing down for five years. Every single month, ripped off one page. Almost never had an issue with that car. Great car. So, exotics aside. And by the way, the exotics, the more complicated they get, the more issues they seem to have, the harder it is to find parts, the more expensive it is to repair. I've got a new car right now that I'm already having all sorts of issues with it. And it's mostly software issues. You mean believe that. But back in the day... Before there were computers in the cars, we didn't have these issues. Just engine-type issues. So I'm going to go with the Ford Probe way back in the day. Jim, do you have any input into the bump music? Or is that all the engineer and producers? Signed, Brad in the 360, cycling degenerate, wore any Pantera as bump tunes. So now, dude, if it weren't enough that you want to just clog up my inbox with your takes, now you want to program the show. Here's the truth. Once in a while, if I'm feeling a tune, I'll say to Alvy, Alvy, mix it in. But it's always asking a lot. He'll do it, but begrudgingly, so I leave it alone. It's almost essentially Alvin's full decision. Hey, Tommy, you tell me. There are things. There are things that go on beyond the other side of the glass that even I don't know about. Does anybody, your music guy, does anybody have any input besides Alvin? DJ Deloro gets not only final say, but essentially all say. What if you hate something? Will he take it out? If I hate something, I will tell him, but he'll ignore me. All right. Tommy says, I've told him I hate things, and Alvin doesn't care. So no, the answer is, it's, it's Alvin. Matt Mikla. Who made you cry the hardest this weekend? Rogan Loam, Logan Roy, or Michael Block? Hashtag RIP Jim Brown. Hashtag Succession Finish Line. Dude, don't wreck it. Here's the thing. Okay, first of all, I didn't cry hard for any of it. I said I got a little dusty at Logan's baseball game. You know what happened? Thanks, Jack. We're off track on Succession. Not only are we episodes behind, but DJ and I are off track. I'm one episode ahead of her, and I think two episodes behind in real time. Succession is the only show in recent years that we watch the night that it airs, Sunday nights. Like old school back in the day when The Sopranos would air on Sunday, it was like an event. Everybody watched We didn't do it on demand. We didn't stream. We watched it live. That's how good a show that was. Of course, that was 20 years ago. So I don't know what's going on. And like, by the way, when I'm working at night and I've got Twitter up on one side, all the guys from Succession are always trending. I'm like, damn, I I can't watch. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. And and don't be a jerk. Don't do it. I don't want to know. I haven't seen it. I'm a few episodes behind. We actually, you know, we started another show. We picked up another show, and you know who recommended the show? My guy, Tony Granado. Tony Granado and Janet had lunch in Wisconsin the day before I got there with a few others. And they were talking shows. Tony said, you know what's a great show? Jury duty. Jury duty. And I didn't know it. I hadn't heard of it. So Dodger Jano and I got caught up in jury duty. Really enjoyed that show. That was fun. It's not succession. But it was good. Tony was right. Tony Granato was one of the best guys I've ever met. If Tony says something's good, Tony's right. Dear Jim, since you grew up in SoCal, were you a swell-searching Dawn Patrol dude like Silk? You know... Lukewarm waterfalls, Pacific Ocean, seawater uncontrollably flowing from both nasal passages during history class. Thanks, JL. In Lincoln City, Oregon, War, Bo Nix making a Heisman run with the Ducks in 2023. I was never that guy. I was never that guy. I can, In fact, I'll be honest. I've only been on a surfboard twice. Waikiki Beach. Never Cali. Went surfing as a kid in Honolulu. Now, I did go to school in Santa Barbara, and a few of my bros, hardcore surfers. Man, these dudes never shut up. Never shut up about the waves. Never. Never. I mean, we'd go out, have a few pops, like, oh, yo, bro, bro, the swells this morning. And, like, in great graphic detail, could break down every single wave they rode that day. It was at that point that I decided, like, they were worse than golf guy. At that point, I decided I'm not going to ever surf. I don't want to be a part of that. So no, I was never that guy. I will tell you one thing, though. Nearly drowned once. It was either at Malibu or Paradise Cove. It was Malibu. I went to summer camp one year, in fact, a number of years, and we would go. They would switch back and forth between Paradise Cove and Malibu. If you're in SoCal, you know that. The riptide was insane one summer in Malibu. And I was a kid, and I didn't know how to get out of it. I got caught in a riptide, and I didn't know how to swim out of it. And I just kept swimming and swimming. I literally thought I was going to die. I thought I was dead and didn't know enough to ask for help. And there were people not that far away, and I'm like, hey, I'm Mark Spitz. I'll just swim right out of this. I was a little kid who had no clue. Didn't know what angle to take. Didn't know how to get out of it. Luckily, some Baywatch dude came flying out and dragged me out of there but I thought I was dead. Maybe that's why I didn't surf. And I'm a pretty good swimmer. Hey, Jim, I listened to your show for a while now. I honestly never checked out the podcast. I listened to the Reinvention podcast over the weekend. I caught the one where you flew solo and talked about how never giving up on yourself and your dreams. I am pursuing my bachelor's in sports management at 44 years old, having a hard time, second-guessing myself. Then I listened to you, and I am now more energized than ever, ready to run through a wall for the degree. Love the show on the podcast. Keep up the great work, Jimmy. Dan in Portland. Hell yes, Dan. Love that. Hey, can I tell you something else? Somebody found my home address. From Vegas, and sent me a letter about the Reinvention podcast and said, I don't want to say what he said, but I, I got a letter from another guy saying something similar. I'm 55, Rome. I've been listening to the podcast. We actually get on Zoom calls and we discuss the podcast. Hey, Dan, dude, I'm so proud of you. That is awesome. Stay on it. Good night, Nathan.